Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors and teachers who are preparing lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm the Discipleship Pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. Larissa is no stranger to the show. We've had her on many times. She's probably one of the guests who's been on the most uh, consistently over the near four years that this show has been going on. So especially in a year like this when we're uh, in the Psalms, because she is an expert in Hebrew poetry. So we're so delighted to have her here today yet again, looking at one of my all-time favorite Psalms, Psalm 121. Psalm one. 21. If you're enjoying the show today, just hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice, and you can pass this along to others so that they can enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text, and that's where you can see some ways to support the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Well, you know the drill. Whenever you're ready, Psalm okay. 121, whatever version you like. Okay. Well, we'll... I'm reading NRSV. Awesome. Psalm 121, a son of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for being the one who keeps us the one who watches over and shades, that protects and helps. So Lord, we now reach out for your help right now in all things, of course, in all things that might be weighing on the hearts and minds and bodies of our listeners. But specifically, we now ask for your help in this hour to have our eyes opened to the written word of God, to have our ears open to hearing the voice of God in scripture. Lord, we can bring the insights that we have, and and hopefully we have some things to share that will be helpful in our own human skill that you've granted to us. But uh, most of all, Lord, we ask that by your help, we would be faithful interpreters of the Word of God. So we ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So what do you notice? Where do you want to start? What's interesting here in Psalm 121 to you? There are a few things. Well, rhetorically, the way it's built, right? Yeah. So it starts with the first person, I lift my eyes, right? But then it switches in three to he will not let your ah. foot, right? So it's like it's a dialogue going on almost between somebody who is asking the question and somebody who is, in a way, responding. So maybe, you know, a king and a priest talking Mm. together or a king and a prophet type thing. 
or later on, you know, as it is a son of a sense, right? So it's already after uh, Israel comes back from exile. So it's probably the liturgy that's going yeah. on, right? So maybe it's responsive reading. I don't know, but it's it's quite interesting to see that shift in who is speaking, so to say. Yeah, so it could be one voice switching from my experience to proclamation. But you're right; it almost works nat- more naturally to just have different speakers. Right. Like this is true for me, and the other person affirms that. Right. Okay, that's clever. Yeah. Or somebody's you know coming to the temple to pray, right? And then the priest is like kind of praying uh, over the person. Like it's very similar in nature. It sounds like. Number six, you know, priestly prayer. Yeah. Right. So it's the same type of prayer benediction. Yeah. Kind of a blessing, a benediction, something that would be pronounced over someone. Right. May these things be true of you, slash, these things are true true of you. you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then also it switches between you, maybe one person, right? But then Israel. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's more of just you, individual, but more of a people. So. It's, you know, the Lord is your keeper. He will not let your food be moved, right? Three, he who keeps Israel. Yes. Right. Four. So there is this, it's a an individual, but yet and a communal. So it's, you know, very interesting arrangement to the song itself. Yeah. And, it, and those, all those yous, as far as I can tell, remain singular, although they could be right. co- collective oh, singulars. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they could be collective yes. singulars. Right. Wow. Okay. You are a member of the larger group, yeah, right? So yeah. that's, you know. But, you know, because there is something that really sticks out to me. Where does my help come from, right? The word help. Mm-hmm. You know, who, my help comes from the Lord. It's the word ezer in Hebrew. Yeah. So it's the same word that used in Genesis oh. 2.20 of the woman, suitable helper. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's once again to point out that the word helper in Genesis yeah. is not, you know, go bring something. Right, right. Uh, but more of a, now again, not in the sense only God can help like here, but it's something to who walks alongside making the, the work in the garden, right, easier and manageable and doing it together. And usually when this word's used for the Lord, is it? My, I did a word study on once, and I recall that it's often in the context of some kind of intervention. Like, right. I'm doing something, and I can't do it unless right. I need God help. steps in and helps. Right. Right. Yeah. So, as opposed to like a help in the sense of like a you know, the help, you know, like right. <laughs> take care of this for me. You know. No, I love it. I'm glad I did. I <laughs> I missed Azer there. That's cool. Right. That is very cool. And most of the yeah. times it appears in scripture, it's actually used to, as a as a sort of uh, adjective or attribute of God often, right? I mean, it's Correct. really commonly. Yes. yes, that's what, yeah, that's the way it's used. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. Like, I mean, in some ways it opens with a question that gets answered and I've heard it exposited two different ways and maybe there's no way to definitively answer this, but I, I was guessing you'd have a thought. The lifting my eyes to the mountains from where will my help come. I've heard at least, there's probably more than two, but sometimes this is put in some sort of contrast, like the threat is in the mountains. Mm. So I'm looking up at the mountains and I'm worried, you know, like, you know, if you're, if you're singing this on procession on the way up to Jerusalem, you know, you're on a journey, 
you might look to the mountains and be like, okay, there's, you know, <laughs> there's bandits up there. Right. Yeah. So I'm asking for help. And then the other way I've kind of heard it more is like, you're in the troubles, but then you're kind of looking up to the mountains, like the mountains that in which God dwells, right? You're looking ahead to Zion where you're heading. And that's kind of a symbol of God's authority over everything. And his watchful eye that we encounter in the second half of the book. Do you have a sense of just from your just knowledge of the scriptures more in general, which way the metaphor seems to be, is the mountains the threat or is it the symbol of the help, you know? Yeah. The mountain is a symbol of protection, right? So we shouldn't start that it's a metaphor, right? We should start with the literal. Right. Meaning. Of course, so, literally hiking there's mountains. Right. right. So yeah. the person is looking up to the mountains. Now, if you're in Jerusalem, that you're surrounded by mountains, right? Right. So wherever you look, you see the mountains, mm-hmm. right? But in the ancient world, we also need to remember mountains were the places where the watchtowers were built, mm-hmm. right? So you look up to see, you know, there is a fire burning, so something like the enemy is coming, so you know ah. you're prepared. And it goes really well, that understanding was the whole idea of guarding, Right, right, which is so, just the dominant theme in the second right, half. Right, so it's obviously, you know, a sentinel, a watchman on the tower, making sure that whoever he is protecting is safe. So that literal image of mm-hmm. looking up and seeing a person in a tower who's, now who's is… keeping watch over you, right. helping you. Right. So okay. like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, right? When right, you, you know, you watch the movie, you see the towers, you know, lighting so cool. flowers yeah. and moving, right? <laughs> or I was in Haiti, went to the Citadel, right? At uh-huh. The highest uh, mountain there. And from there, you can see those watchtowers that were built just for that purpose. Okay. But they're all on the hills, on the mountains, right? So that's the same thing of, you know, you look up, you know, it's, uh, you look there for protection, but you also know that if nothing is there, then you're safe. You don't need to get worried about the enemy attacking. Yep. Got it. Got it. Okay. And yeah, so it's, you, you look up to the mountains for protection, not because there is a... Yeah. And if it was threat, it wouldn't threat. be the threat from the mountains per se. It's, it's the warning. Right. But the warning would come from the mountains. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. But usually, you know, if you, again, think of ancient world... The troops would not go, the enemy troops would not go through the mountains. They go through the valleys. That's why even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's more danger in the valley than in the mountains. You're safer up high. Yeah. Get to higher ground. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's very helpful. Because again, like I said, I've heard people exposit it both directions, just often just kind of what just comes to mind when they, when they right. read the text, then that makes a lot of sense that that would fit, that it fits more with mountains as, as protection and really gets the, the imagery of keeping watch right. is already yeah. kind of anticipated as it were, because that's the dominant language later. But I think our first reference to is verse, verse three, is it three? He does not let your foot stumble. He who keeps you. Yeah, he who, he who keeps you, right, in verse mm-hmm. 3? Right. So is that our first use of that verb, keep? Um, I yes. think it is. Mm-hmm. Because that is, I think it appears six times at my last rendering. And it's very hard. I've found very few English translations who use keep every time because it's it's hard to do. I mean, and, and so it's not wrong, but you do miss the, the dominance of that right. imagery. Can we talk about that real quick? Sorry, I, I yeah, I'm no, sure no, you have no, more no. Things, so there's, it's, uh, is it, is it Shomer? Yeah. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, it's in three, 
right? Yeah. He who keeps. And then five. Four. four. There's one he in five. He who keeps Israel. Oh well, there's gosh, one there in is four. another one in five. No, I'm still in four. Sorry. Yeah. There's so two there's in four or just one? One. Okay. Yeah, he who keeps Israel. That's right. right. And then in five? Five. Yep. Yahweh is your keeper. Right. And right. then in seven? There's one in, is there one in six too? I'm just looking real quick. No, it just no. it's just the same. It's just uh it's not an R. It's Shomer. It's Shomesh. Shomesh. Sorry, I'm trying yeah, to always get a little that's a son. Yep. I'm always trying to get a little do a little Hebrew tutoring on on the air here. Thanks, listeners. Okay, I did an extra on accident. Okay, and then two and seven? Right. The Lord will keep. He will keep. Yeah. Right? And then one and last then one and eight. eight. Mm-hmm. So one, two, three, four, five, six, six times. And does NRSV, did it do every single one keep? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nice job, NRSV. Right. <laughs> they, get the, they get the ribbon for, because <laughs> the imagery works, even though it, it has sometimes means more like keeping watch, sometimes guarding, sometimes being, you know. Right. That's where I think NIV translates it as guard. Okay. They keep it. And they stay guard, guard the whole way through. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your guard does not slumber. Israel's guard. The Lord is your guard. Uh, the Lord guards you. He guards you. The Lord guards your going. Okay. Right. Yeah, that works too. Okay. Right. Very so, cool. I just saw that Alter used guard every time. Right. So he he, yeah. went, he chose to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, can I just pause and say pros and cons for guard versus keep? Thoughts? Or is it not uh, a real big deal? No. Just a choice? I think the, to translate it more as a guard gives a – I think for our mind, right, for mm-hmm. contemporary thinking, we think of watchmen as guards – Mm-hmm. Right, not just keeper, so it's easier to understand what's going on. That's sure. my thought. So right. it's it's an attempt at yeah at a dynamic equivalence, as it were. Right. Okay, cool, very cool. Well, let's take a quick break there, and then come back and explore some more. Okay, sure. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Arisha Levishova, and we are looking at Psalm 121, the second of the Songs of Ascent. There's what? I think is it 15 of these? Am I remembering that right? Let me see. 20 through, what's the last one? 34? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. 34. So 34 minus 20 would be 14 plus one because you have to count. Yeah. Right. So 15. So you talked about it a little bit. Do you mind? I'm putting you on the spot here, but I guess that's the whole show. Uh, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about Songs of Ascent? I've heard different ways of it being described. So I'd just love to hear kind of your sort of sense of their original kind of setting and purpose. And if you have any thoughts on these Psalms and their place in the, the Psalter. Well, I always understood them as part of the liturgy as people come together and walk up towards Jerusalem mm-hmm. for big festival. Yeah. Right. So there is, as they walk, right, there's already uh, liturgy going on. So they're already worshiping. And my understanding also is that they were put together in this way already after the exile. Okay. So why exactly like that? I'm I can't. Mm. But yeah, it's because some of them I, may have had a prehistory, but at right. least they're being collected and giving this right. transcription to them. Right. That's a part of the restoration of temple worship that comes after the exile. Correct. That makes sense. Yeah. That's why, you know, Psalm one twenty one can be read as a king 
Mm. Thinking about possible oh. threat around him and he is looking up, you know, like David praying, Hezekiah praying, right? You have all this uh, compound like, imagery. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And was the. Like Psalm 91, where it's like, there's an addressing, you will not be. Right. Which uh, really actually, fits as a pre battle kind of. Right. Actually, thank you for mentioning blessing. 91. If you put them to, uh, side by side, wow. you'll see a lot of wow. similar concepts. I wanted to start with that. Um, no, you probably already now. have discussed Psalm 91, so I didn't want to. No, no, it's great. We did 91, but no, those connections are great. Right. So, but it's the same, you know, the same idea of the psalm is not addressed to God, mm-hmm. right? It's more of somebody talking about what God does, and it's more about protection and promise of protection and kind of the same idea of benediction or prayer over. Somebody? Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's the idea of the king probably, you know, getting ready to go to battle or knowing about the imminent threat. What should I do? You know, where do I find help? Right? And the idea is, do I go to Egypt? Yeah. Do I go to Phoenicia? Where do I look for help? It's like, oh, my help comes from the Lord. And then the lift the eyes works really well. It could be that a signal just came in. Right. It's like a little song you sing when you're getting ready to yeah. respond. And then becoming the son uh, of a sense, now it's the whole of Israel coming back together, you know, worshiping to Israel. So again, it's you individually, but you are only as a member Mm -hmm. of, like the same way Moses talks to uh, Israel before crossing into the promised land. He says you, singular. Mm -hmm. Meaning both every individual person, but also you as a collective singular, the people of God. Right. You individually and you as people. Yeah. Because if individuals are not doing this, right, not part of it, then as a people, they're not doing it. Right. But if you try to do this on your own without a community, also won't work. Right. They're both essential. Yeah. Yeah, because, oh, so many, the the, the sun will not strike you by day. I mean, that's really similar to language and. 91. 91, right. That's yep. so fun. That's a great example where yeah, it's funny. I feel like I've learned to do this with some Psalms and then I forget to do it with others where like one of my rules in interpretation is like to always spend a little time bracketing out mm. the the inscription and asking before this inscription got popped on it, right. like what? how might it have been interpreted? But then always taking those brackets off and then also asking, okay, right. and, and to catch those layers that there's already at least two I mean, there's continuities there in the divine character, but there's, those are two very different social locations for this psalm that the, in terms right. of the royal era versus a more priestly-centered liturgical usage right. after the exile. With 91, though, it's before the exile, right? Right, right. And then if you take the superscription, you know, a son of a son, it will go right back in there. Right there. Just fit right in. So That's so good. It's like for whatever reason, it was moved out and bracketed here. We don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, a few things do come to mind. I mean, the, if you are the, the, of all the songs of ascent, there's maybe one other, but this one really stands out as being. It really works really well for someone on a journey, right? Like on mm-hmm. because of the imagery, right? Sun you not walk. strike you by day, moon by night. That one's really good. The foot. And that right? was the other one. The foot stumbling yeah. in three. Yeah. Both, both of those, I, to me, I kind of just, I can totally, you can imagine right. a yeah. little just so story where someone started singing this on a journey mm-hmm. and then right. they did the next year and their family did and it became a little family tradition and it expanded right. out and some priest heard it and was like, ooh, right. that's great. And they put it in there. Right. I mean, you can, yeah. it wouldn't take 
more than a decade or so for that to have, you know, like right. it's, yeah. it fits so good. We've always done it this way. It's right. Yeah, yeah. It just fits so good. Yeah. And then the, that more kind of Royal history of it could have been obscured for a while, you right. know? So that is so cool. Thanks. I, sure. I just did not think about that other layer. I've always read this kind of exclusively in the song of a sense context. And it really illuminates a couple, especially the opening line. The mountains line makes more sense now, actually, right. in that other context. Although you could move it to the to the hike, but it's also interesting that you ask for help, right? You look for help. The help comes from the Lord, and then you should, I think, logically be thinking about all the other times God protected, mm-hmm. right? Or kept you away from danger, or you know. And yet, the reason for God being the help is that He is creator of heaven and earth, right? It goes back to the creation, but then without mentioning the covenant. Yeah, that is odd. It talks about that, right? So it's very interesting. And then using the the Lord is your shade, the sun will not strike, the moon will not, Mm. right? So that's what God created, right? And that actually should be a good thing. That's because he's over those. Right, but he's over those. He knows how How to provide shade. And so... I think it's very, like, the way Hebrew Scripture interprets Hebrew Scripture. Yes, right? yes. So, like, all the illusions and layers that come in, it's, I think it's just amazing to see that. Yeah, because in many ways, that maker of heaven and earth, the connection to sun and moon is helpful. The, right. the maker of heaven and earth does stand out, actually, a little. It's right. like, why would that be, why not my help is from the Lord, he is Jacob's rescue, Right. I mean, there's right. standard yeah. stock psalm right. Im- language yeah. Yeah. that would be more explicitly covenantal, right? right? Yeah. So we have his covenantal name. He is the Lord, right? right? And and his promise to keep. Oh, you're right. So then that raises a question, if I may. The creation imagery actually creates some interesting tension with this line in verse four and a little bit at the end of three, which has some, there's a playful tension there, at least at on the surface with the language of creation where he rests. Right. But, right yeah. <laughs> now that's the resting of ceasing right. from working. Uh, it right. doesn't say God took a nap. Although that is maybe if all you had was Genesis one and two, you might wonder like, and so right. there is a little interpreting right. whether that's conscious or not here. There seems to be some, like this really is relevant for how you would interpret the meaning of the seventh day that God is ceasing from the work of creation. He's done. He's created it. it. It's complete. It's good. It's working. It doesn't need him to keep tinkering with it. And yet that doesn't mean he's now sleeping, right? right? He's still yes. actively he's very active, keeping yeah. watch. Right. So I'm not sure how intentional that is in, on the author's part to link with that, but the reference yeah. to maker of heaven and earth does make me wonder if there's uh, some highlighting there. I mean, what child does not ask, wait, does God sleep? Does God get tired? <laughs> like, I mean, it's such an obvious question, you know? As I said, you know, it's the the creator, but it's also a covenant God because, you know, in verse four, it says he who keeps Israel. He doesn't, it doesn't say he who keeps the whole world, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it's the, the idea of the creator covenant God. So it just tells you how, how many ways there are there, right? Or at least the Hebrew writers used to speak of that without using the words we would expect them to. Right. You can right. talk about covenant without ever saying covenant. Mm-hmm. Right. But the word, the choice of words points to what is meant. Yeah. Even so. this, even a lot of the other standard kind of 
covenant terminology doesn't appear here. You know, you're, right. you're, you're chesed or right. chosen or, you know, there, right. there's a lot of faithfulness, like all those words, those yep. like key kind of covenant concepts are just not here. Right. They're at work, but the imagery and part of it's because he's just locked in on this keeping guard. Right. Yeah. So it's, so the, the basically that ends up becoming this Psalms almost turning that into a covenant verb. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As if he made, but he also keeps, keeps. right. You know, in a way, um, yeah. cause you could make, but not keep, you could right. make and then say, all right. Yeah. Oh, you can keep something that somebody else that made. Somebody else made. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's an exciting. Song. Yeah. So that's like peel, very cool. Peeling off layers. Oh, right. Gosh, yes. So, yeah. yeah. Cause in a kind of henotheistic mindset for whatever, however helpful that might be at this late stage, you could say, Sure, I guess these other these other nations have their gods that are keeping them, but they didn't make, you know, Yahweh made all things, made all the nations, right. you know. Uh, he's the keeper of this one uh, for now with the intention to bless all. And maybe there's other divine-like beings running around attempting to keep their <laughs> nations, but they're not worth putting your trust in, you know. Yeah. And the, again, the way Hebrew scripture works, right, bringing illusions always, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that's why it was written, but how it always works together. Right. Like was uh, Elijah accusing the priest of Baal, right? Saying like, where is Baal? Is he sleeps? And the word there is slumber. Right? Mm. So is that what he's doing? Why is he? Like, again, you know, when you know the scripture, all of this images flood together. Again, not to say that's exactly what it means. Or this is why it's said because... When it was written, the person was thinking of Elijah. No, that's not what I'm yeah. saying, right? But that's how Hebrew scripture interprets Hebrew scripture. Exactly. It's always open for interpretation. It's not closed. Yeah. Intertwined so, and riffing off each other. Right. So I and, think it's, yeah. Yeah. And, and just the simple fact, like one of the irritations in New Testament studies is we like, we have hunches and a few key places of evidence, but we really don't have clearly locked in chronology with a lot of these right. texts. So we can't, and even if we can date something as later than another, we don't know if that later thing knew about the earlier thing. So right. you've got second Peter referencing Paul's letters. Okay. That one's obvious, right? Right. Right. You have some literary relationships between the gospels, although those are complicated and there are competing theories and you have, we have no clue how John fits into that because it's equally plausible that John knows all about what the other gospels right. are doing and doing something different or is completely right. independent of them. Right. Either one makes sense of the evidence, right? Right. Right. So because the whole thing was written over the course of less than a hundred years, so you right. just don't know how it's interpreting itself. Right. So there is that old rule of scripture interprets scripture. But like the beautiful thing about the Hebrew Bible is like there is so much a clearer sense of right. sequence. And there are some complications here and there. But it's quite clear that certain parts are making reference to right. earlier right. by hundreds of years. So right. there's no question yeah. that they knew it. Right. right? Yeah. And that just – that means there's – you're on much stronger ground to be right. able to yes. – to, to, you're, it's not just me because often I feel in New Testament studies, I'm making a decision about how to play Paul and James off each other or whatever, or play John and Mark off each other. Right. I feel yeah. like I'm doing the work. And when I'm studying, especially in the Ketuvim, in the writings, you know, in, in Psalms, Proverbs, mm -hmm. the rest, like I'm not guessing that they're reading the Torah. I know they right. are because yes. it's their <laughs> lifeblood. It's been around for, a th it's already old. It's already ancient to them. Right. It's a thousand years old to them. So they're already reading this as an ancient text that they don't entirely understand even themselves. Right. They're, That's they're having true. to do the work of interpreting. 
So the thought that that, that that famous passage would be in play is totally plausible. Would this be, I, I wanted to introduce this because it's helpful sometimes um, for our listeners and it's not a rigid categories, but uh, what's the echoes of scripture in the letters of Paul guy? And he does it in the, what's his name? Hayes, Richard yeah, Hayes. Right. So this is in New Testament studies, but the, the principles would apply for any text relating to others. He talks about three layers. Side note, I talk about the whole New Testament thing. The, the secret then is to just see the New Testament as a later stage of the whole thing right. we just talked yes. about. Because we know yeah. they know the Bible, so you just go there. Right, you just go to Then you're fine. Old then you're Testament, not lost. The, other the problem Testament. is going, the mistake is to try to look at other New Testament right. stuff. Right. But if you just go back, you're always in good. Right. Because you know yeah. they all know the whole Bible. So he talks about a citation is the top layer, mm-hmm. right? So that would be quoting a line from Leviticus and discussing it, right? Okay. And usually with some kind of formula that says, as the prophet Isaiah said, right? right? So you get quotation and then you get allusion, which would be a sort of, it's not cited and it might not be the exact language, but it kind of gestures towards it. And then he has kind of layer what he called, but, but it really, it's clearly, it's clearly intended by the author. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. The logic Peter. of it doesn't really make sense without it. What was that? Like Peter in chapter two, right? Of Verses nine. Or no, of, oh, no. of the, of the letter. Right. Right. Like before you and other people, now you're people yes, and all like that. it's like almost a direct quote, maybe right, a couple twists, right. but there's no formula introducing it. Right. So it's an illusion. And then he has what he calls echo. Right. Right. Which is, well, that's a kind of resonance there that adds an extra layer and maybe connecting to other passages connected to that one. Would you? I'm just asking now, introducing that framework for good and bad. Would you think the slumber or sleep line in four here in connection with Elijah would you put that at the level more of illusion or more like an echo? Like it reverberates. Oh, more of an echo. Echo? Okay. Right. Whereas she, maker of heaven and earth, that's a clear allusion to Genesis 1 and 2, right? right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, okay. Yes. Thank you. I, yeah. Sorry, I took a long way to get there, but I thought it was that was for the sake of our hearers. Because if I just said, so is this more of an echo or an illusion? They have no idea what I was talking about, but I, you right. would. But Right. But there are more studies done in even in the Old Testament, like Catherine Dell is one of those who does okay. that. And there is uh, with intertextuality. Right. And even within the echoes, they now uh, distinguish even more, even like more subtle nuances. Like, Ooh, okay, so. You tell some of them? <laughs> no, okay. Like, speaking of Ecclesiastes, right? Okay. You know, I was king in Jerusalem, right? All of those kingly language, mm-hmm. right? So, quite clearly, this is Solomon, right? That's what we always think, even though it's not Solomon. Yeah, um, right. But uh, what I've been reading, you know, in my sabbatical, right, writing a commentary on Ecclesiastes, is that, well, if you consider echoes, then the echoes also to Hezekiah and what Hezekiah has done, Ah. and to David and what David has done, right? So if you look at the kings and what they have done, so it's not necessarily that the allusions are only to Solomon. Right, so if you can see an allusion there, then... Yeah, so it's much more compound and more complex. Yeah. Uh, picture that the narrator is creating, right? There are definite clear allusions to Solomon, mm-hmm. right? But there is more than that. So, well, but he may be functioning as a synecdoche for right. the royal house, right? More broadly, right? Right. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see and then go to the text and read about Hezekiah, and it's like, oh yeah, that's true. That's that's exactly what's happening, right? That makes this slumber and sleep thing makes me want to wonder, like, because this we've already mentioned two possible echoes, right? Um, I mean, the, the the 
the conceptual service level is clear. Like a guard, uh, someone who's keeping watch who falls asleep right. is not doing their job, right? So right. that's the obvious layer. But the reference to, you know, to the nature of God's rest at right. the end of creation could be one possible echo. Right. You mentioned the one from Elijah, First Kings 19. And it right. makes you wonder, like, there could be more, right? right? There could be multiple. You can think of Eli and Samuel. Right? Yes. Like Eli sleeping in the temple. <laughs> right. It's like, right. But this is, this is what happens. Like, that's yeah. how Hebrew scripture works, right? Mm-hmm. There is so much more than just one image that we can think of. Yeah. And so, all the more so in the poetry. Right. Poetry, yes. All human poetry is designed right. to have, right. to invite layered readings. That's right. great. Well, let's uh, take a quick break and uh, explore some servant starters, all right? And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Larissa Levicheva, and we're looking at Psalm 121. 121. On the break, we actually bumped into one little more thing we want to talk about, and maybe... We'll jump off this for a quick sermon starter, and that'll be it, and that would be fine, because uh, we don't want to not make the most of our time with you when you're here. So, Larissa pointed something out about the grammar in verse three that's actually really important. So, can you walk us through that? Right. So, um, I'm reading from NRSV right now, and it says, "He will not let your foot be moved." Right. So, it sounds like a promise, mm-hmm. right? Like a, a very certain things that will happen, but in Hebrew. What we see here is not a denial of fact, right? As in, he will not, but uh, rather a wish, a desire that this will not happen, right? In uh, the, the grammatical form is called Joseph. So it, if we use it, so there's uh, actually to, two different words for not, right? In Hebrew, and not right? and it is uses a, the one that implies may it not be, the, right? That's used with uh, non finite forms of the verbs. So in English, if we say, let us do this, right? right? So it's not, it's not a command. It's a desire. It's an expression of will and wish. And just if when uh, the same is done in the third person. So to read this correctly, we should say, may he not let your foot be moved. So, so then it's more of a blessing or a benediction. And, and it's not a, it's not a, empty wish of like, well, I hope he does. It's This is the kind of God that God is, but it's nevertheless more like a petition spoken to the person it's for, which is what a benediction right. is. I, yeah. I always find it funny when someone's like, will be like some ceremonial thing here at the university, you know, and they'll be like, okay, now it's time for the benediction. Uh, let us pray, you know, and you bow your head. It's like, I mean, that's fine. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not picky, but I'm trying to, I'm not trying not to be a snob about it. Right. But it's like, historically the notion is a benediction or a blessing is something you speak to someone right though it's also in the presence of god you're asking you know you're asking god to do these things but instead of you know forming the instead of putting them in the form of a petition you're putting them in the form of a may it be so that god does x y and z for you right yeah so if we think to priestly blessing in number six verses 24 through 26 it's the same language and the Lord bless you, right? Gotcha. The Lord right. bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you, and so on. It's not a promise. The Lord will bless you for sure, right? right? It's more of express uh, expression of wish and desire, but there is certainty with it because you know who God is, right? right? So that's what. So the same thing is happening here, 
right? May the Lord not uh, let your foot be moved, right? So it's that the same the same idea of a benediction, a prayer over somebody. If the person in one and two is looking for help and knows that the help comes from the Lord, the second person, right, who is in a way in dialogue with uh, the person like the king and the priest, right, mm-hmm. or king and a prophet, kind of reassuring, giving more evidence to why the help comes from the Lord, right? So that's that's what he will do, right? Yeah. But in the form of a prayer, petition, and uh, benediction. I think that's so huge, honestly, because like there is just theologically for a moment, it's worth noting that there is a perhaps razor thin, but important gap, <laughs> right? A gap, razor yeah. thin, but a gap nonetheless, between the more absolute statement that the Lord is your keeper, right? (laughs) Yes. And the slightly more relative statement of the consequence that has for you in particular, which is that your foot may not stumble. Because a lot of things could go different. For instance, you might not keep the covenant on your hands and then he might, you know, let your foot stumble precisely so that you might return to him, repent and be faithful again, right? right? The whole scriptures are clear on that, that, but that didn't mean he ceased to be your keeper. Right. He was watching yes. over. Right. So there's a kind of, and I feel like that actually is a, a nice transition to thinking about what it would look like to preach and pray and practice this psalm, right? right? Because it's understanding that, paying attention to what is it that I am, you know, absolutely certain that God just is and does, right? right? And then the trend of that action for my future. Right. right. And to not just turn every sentence of the Bible into a very concrete promise. Right. Sometimes right. we read the very unique dynamic between Abraham and Yahweh. We can sometimes read that into all later right. relationships. Now, on one, level, on one level, he's our father in faith. And so we should learn from that. Right. On the flip side, when God says, okay, I am going to, no Joseph, right? <laughs> I am going to take you here and I'm going right. to give you this land from that right. <laughs> city down to that city. Right, those would be promises in the in the narrower, stricter sense of a promise, right. right? And it's I think it's actually an important interpretive skill for preachers and just Christians in general to just learn to like notice like when, yeah. especially in a psalm, which is a prayer, right? We right. should expect yeah. it to be a little bit more open ended, a yeah. little less closed, right? Right? Yeah. And of course, one of the big lessons in the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures is that even the promises that seem all closed and clear end up getting fulfilled in strange, unpredictable right. ways, yeah. right? With all yes. kinds of twists and turns. Right. I mean, so much of the latter half of the of the Hebrew Bible is dealing with the fact that that original <laughs> promise isn't going so well, right? <laughs> so, but I don't know. I, I mean, I would not. I, I could. I could totally see, even if that was just an aside in a sermon, to really clarify. You know, this is something that's being prayed over you, you know, and yeah, especially that language of stumbling. Because when we talk about stumbling, may he not let your foot stumble Stumble. is a lot different than your foot will definitely not stumble, right? Making your foot the, because you're, you might stumble, (laughs) yeah, but uh, it is not in his character to cause that stumbling to you, right? Right. But so, so just kind of maybe introducing some subtlety there, I think can be actually really helpful. The the thing we know for sure is that he is the maker of heaven and earth, mm-hmm. right? So that's your ground for it. But everything else is a little and then more he, subtle. Right. And as your keeper and guard, he has the power 
to do right. that well as the maker of heaven and earth. Right. But also, you know, it is up to him what is going to happen, right? If we mm-hmm. think to New Testament and the Hebrew, Hebrews, that chapter 11, right? Where yes. he did this for this person and this and this, but how many have not seen it? Mm-hmm. Right. So the fact that he is able to do that, that doesn't mean that that will be a case, right? Like, you know, we all talk about the free will for us, <laughs> you, know, little, you know, and kind of forget that God does that too, right? He has the free will. So making it like he will not is me telling him what to do, right? Almost. But no, he's still God, right? He yeah. made us all and it's up to him. We pray for it. We ask for yeah. it. We ask with faith and in faith. If the future is not open right. a little, prayer is a joke. Right. It's a game, right? Yeah. It's It's precisely expressing our will and, you know, speaking our will over one another in this case, in the benediction form. Right. That, uh, well, this is the way that this is the trend of God's will. And I, I, I wish it for you. I'm on right. God's side. Right. God's on your side and I'm with God. I want him on your side too. Right. I want this yes. to happen. Yeah. How it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. And even in a certain sense, whether it's going to happen are up in the air, his identity as the maker and right. covenanter is not, those are not up in the air. But exactly how each one of us fits into that plan is quite up in the air. Right. right? Yes. May the Lord guard. I wonder, I mean, all of these could translate. I mean, they're not strict justice, but the whole thing could be, you know, read that way in a very helpful way. May the Lord guard you from all harm. You know, may he guard your life. May he guard your going and your coming Coming. now and forevermore. This is the kind of God God is. And so we can say he is doing that. He will do that. Right. But in the freedom of God's life, we're also, that's also a word of hope. Right. Not just yeah. a sort of fact, uh, a boring fact, a stable fact, but a right. living hope. Right. I think that's why this psalm is so powerful, right? Mm. We come to it quite often in time of need, uncertainty, some type of danger. We don't know, like, not necessarily physical danger, right? Mm-hmm. But that uncertainty, whatever, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going on right now. Yeah, that It's makes, not up to me to decide, right? Yeah. Like, that makes me come back to the mountain that we started early right. within this conversation. Yes, exactly. Which also has an echo of some important mountains throughout scripture, right? right? Yeah. That were quite scary. Sinai was a pretty scary experience for the people, uh, dangerous, and there was lives lost at the foot of that mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was ultimately the mountain of God's covenantal pact. You know, this is when he uh, sealed the deal, as it were, (laughs) right? Uh, right. locked in that covenant. So there is something about the imagery of of a mountain that can be so threatening and uncertain to little us when we look up at it, but is ultimately this just utterly stable Reality. So there is a stability in God as our keeper. Right. So we're not wondering what's he going to do to next, but it's him who's the Lord, not us. That's the key, right? Right. So try to capturing that balance is absolutely crucial when we, when we pray and preach and practice a Psalm like this. Well, I think that's good enough. I think you've given us a ton of awesome (laughs) stuff to chew on. This is a great, I had a blast. Did you have some fun? Thank you. Yes. Oh, yes. I always have fun. Yeah. This what a great Psalm. And, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks, as always, to uh, Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to our patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to become one, just go to patreon.com slash freshtext and see ways you can support the show there. 
And uh, thanks to all our listeners. Appreciate you chiming in. Get the word out about the show. And uh, with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye.